Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. And this week on the panel, we have Adi Iyengar. Hello. Alan Weimar. Hello from Chicago. And me, I'm me, I'm Sasha Wolf. And of course, we have a special guest this week, and that is Abul Asar Sayed. So Abul, why don't you tell the audience why we invited you and what we are going to talk about today? Yeah, sure. So thank you very much for having me here. So I'm Abul Asar. You can just call me Abul. I'm a software engineer from Mumbai, India. So currently, I'm working remotely for a US-based real estate company called ID Plans. So uh, ID Plans is something, it's a company that uh, provides uh, software for commercial real estate. So here I'm mostly working on JavaScript uh, stack, uh, JavaScript and AWS stack. We have multiple Node.js services which are consumed on AmberJS and React. So regarding like this talk is about Elixir. So my journey regarding Elixir started with introduction to functional programming, which I got introduced by one of my previous colleague, uh, Patrick Rebier. He was one of my senior. Uh, hi, Patrick, if you're listening to this podcast. So he introduced me to the ideology of um, functional programming in JavaScript. And at that time, we also had JavaScript uh, Ruby in the project. So it didn't much make sense about um, Elixir, at, uh, about functional programming uh, at that time. But then I got introduced to uh, functional uh, to Elixir, which is a functional programming language, and it has syntax very much similar to Ruby. So since then, like I um, tried Elixir and uh, Node, like uh, Node is like its beautiful syntax, its easiness, and the best thing about its concurrency. And the main thing that caught my eye was Phoenix Live View, something which which very easy. Like uh, as I, my my career started as a front end developer, so Live View something was very very front end focused, and real time thing was really cool. So yeah, that's all my journey about uh, Elixir and Phoenix Live View. That how I got started. Yeah. Nice, nice. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So we mostly invited you for like one blog post you've been posting, right? Where you like uh, have been using GraphQL to to then combine it with Live View to, to render some things on the front end. Maybe you want to give us like a super short rundown of like the gist there. Yes, absolutely. So like I always wanted to have a portfolio website of me, like the flashy, cool one. Uh, so I already had a blog. I have a blog, abulosa.com, from where this uh, blog got famous. So uh, like it is hosted on Node.js, uh, 
on Hashnode, sorry. So, but I wanted to have my own website so uh, where I can show my experiences, details, uh, and uh, projects. So I decided to create this uh, website, abulosa.dev, which I created in Phoenix Live View. And I also wanted to have a blog or uh, a, a section or a tab where I can show my blog. So initially I thought to add a CRUD-like functionality, but uh, I came across Hashnode Developer API, which is very simple and intuitive. And it was in GraphQL format. So I wasn't very much aware about GraphQL and how to consume it in an Elixir application. Then I did some research and came across the neuron library in Elixir and it worked. So it was a good learning experience as, uh, experience, and I thought, why shouldn't I share it with everyone uh, through my blogs? So yeah, uh, like I publish this blog and share my experience, what was the challenge I faced and all. So yeah, it was pre- pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds great. It's just, just, it's kind of funny because just last week, Adi and me recorded like a panelist episode where we talked about a bunch about GraphQL and building APIs and like consuming GraphQL and <laughs> publishing a GraphQL API. So <laughs> kind of interesting to see how the whole circle closes here. I don't think it is has been out yet as, as of a point of this recording, so probably haven't heard it yet. But yeah, so um, it, it's cool to see that now we can actually talk a little bit about how, how this can be used in like a real world scenario, so to speak. I mean, it's still a pet project, right? But at the end of the day, it's, it's still like what code running somewhat in production. So before we hit the record button, we actually briefly cut into why you chose this particular GraphQL library and especially that there are apparently a bunch of GraphQL libraries out there to consume GraphQL APIs. So would you like to enlighten us a little bit on that? Like what kind of libraries you've encountered and why you ended up with this one and what what kind of thoughts went into that, you know? So yeah, like one thing I didn't uh, told you about, like before starting this project in uh, LiveView, I started, uh, I tried to make this application in embargoes since I am kind of, I have expertise in embargoes as well, uh, the JavaScript uh, framework. So when I started that project, I had uh, kind of got a taste of how to like make query in GraphQL from front end point of view. So when I was going through different libraries and, and honestly, I don't remember the library what I had <laughs> gone through, but uh, like I said, I got the taste of how to query GraphQL. And that similar thing I got, the similar thing I got uh, in this library, Neuron as well. So it was very something like what I had seen in Ambergia, same thing I got in LiveView as well. So I thought uh, it's better to do use this library. And also like uh, what we discussed earlier, like uh, it's very easy to configure. That was the best thing. We just have to use uh, Neuron.set and you have to provide the endpoint from where, uh, the source where you want to fetch data. Obviously that had uh, that has some limitation of multiple uh, sources. <laughs> if you want to have, have fetch data from multiple sources, that can be cha- a challenging one. But for for my case, for fetching from single to singleton source, that was pretty much sufficient. Yeah, fair enough. Adi, I would actually be interested because I think last time we spoke, you also mentioned that you were basically aggregating GraphQL apps into a service and I assume you must be using a GraphQL client for that, right? So what, what is yeah, that? Yeah, we built one. Oh, you built one. Oh. Uh, yeah, this was in uh, 2017, end of 2017. Absinthe was still very new. I think we were the first one to build. It's Ankisam as a company and it's called Common GraphQL Client. I don't know how, if they're maintaining that. They must be because their production applications are reliant to that. But that is not singleton like Neuron is. You can use it in a very kind of like a, a low level way where you just use it as a kind of a, an interface to 
stitch together your variables and arguments, right? And construct a query like Neuronus, or you could also build API schemas and do client-side validation with that, right? And that's also something we touched in the last episode, uh, Sasha, that GraphQL, a huge, huge advantage of GraphQL is that before sending your query, you can validate the types and all that with like client-side query validation. So that client supports that. So I believe you should maybe try out common GraphQL client. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for mentioning it. Yeah, surely I'll, uh, I'll try that. Yeah. I was just kidding. I'm not sure if it's maintained, but it's just like shameless self-promotion. But but yeah, we use that for most part because of the schemas, the way schemas were written. It was very easy to like stitch that, stitch multiple APIs into the schemes, same schema, which I, I, don't know, I don't even think Neuron has like a concept of client schema, right? It's like very low level. No, no, I think, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. There's no this uh, concept of schema in uh, Neuron. Yep. So it seems like Common GraphQL was last updated in May 2021. So not, Completely dead, but... That's awesome. I left the company early 2020, so they did some maintenance. That's great to know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, Alan, uh, I think you also have a bit of GraphQL experience, right? I mean, we we were not there last time, but I think you mentioned something like that a while ago. So, any wisdom to share? Yeah. GraphQL is nice, but there is a couple of tricky bits you got to be careful about, right? Mostly about when you're creating the API. The coolest thing that I like is that you can say, okay, you can make custom types. You can have it so that like they have to conform to something. You, you can do this kind of stuff. And the cool part is like you don't have to worry about that when you get down to the resolver. And so actually resolving the queries and mutations. But the crap part is that you need to make sure that if you declare something not null, you don't actually return a null value. So you have to kind of be careful about that part. I think it's got its pluses and minuses, but overall, it's uh, it's kind of nice. The one thing that you have to also be careful about, too, for some weird reasons, mutations are fine, queries are fine, but subscriptions, everybody does their own way of doing subscriptions, which is basically like PubSub over the wire. It's nuts. So if you use a GraphQL library, which I'm sure Audi probably ran into this one, you need to be able to implement however your server side implements subscriptions if you want to use subscriptions. So I just stopped using subscriptions and just use Phoenix channel. That's what I do. Yeah, I think Adi has more more things to say than me since he created the client. I didn't create a client. I use whatever's out there. Yeah, I, I think as long as from the subscription side, as long as on the server side, the schema for subscription was consistent with like one of the other queries, generally that's the case. On the client side, it's pretty simple. Yeah, it gets tricky when you deviate a little bit. And that's kind of what you were getting at, right? Like when, when it's inconsistent because uh, the data is real time. On, on the client side, you need to know how to kind of like on replace on on replace replace right or on replace update like make sure you have a consistent way of uh, updating data on the client side but yeah i mean actually glad you brought subscriptions because uh, i was going to ask about like if he has uh, tried using subscriptions with live view because i think that's like a marriage made in heaven uh, in my in my opinion which is like simple pop sub and tied to like a, a live view and which and pop sub tied to a GraphQL. I wanted to ask the exact same uh, thing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like honestly, I haven't tried, but um, yeah, while working on this on this project, and I, I got the taste of of GraphQL, I decided to do some exploration, uh, explore a little about um, GraphQL. So yeah, I came across this concept, but there wasn't any scenario where I can uh, use a subscription in my project. But uh, yeah, obviously, like uh, after knowing this GraphQL format, how it can uh, be useful in API for saving the data for like uh, I didn't get much chance to explore in this project uh, but uh, knowing about uh, uh, after exploring about graphql like how it can help you in saving bandwidth 
saving your bills for <laughs> for your product uh, if you are using uh, GraphQL. So I thought to consider it for my upcoming projects. Uh, like we are in some kind of discussion, uh, me and my friend, we are in some kind of discussion to create uh, for school project uh, where I'll be using uh, Elixir. So it will be a mobile based uh, application. So in that case, to save some bills and uh, and yeah, in that case, it can be helpful. And obviously that uh, the, the desktop application I'm considering is will be in uh, live view. Yeah, obviously, because it's cool. <laughs> one quick news that I learned last week, Uber is planning on using one of their internal APIs. A GraphQL API is planning on using Phoenix for that because they determined doing subscription with like any other GraphQL API server technology is a lot of work and elixir and phoenix have it built in and absent works so well with phoenix and it's like built for concurrency you can have multiple clients subscribe to a phoenix absent graphql subscription that uber is using elixir now or planning on using elixir it's it's pretty pretty great pretty good news for the community it's, it's almost if it's a beam was built for like keeping lots of connections <laughs> alive right <laughs> <laughs> right Sorry, I had to pack that in there. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, actually, I mean, like, we, when I talked a little bit about subscriptions and like something with which Adi just said is about like subscriptions and life, you probably will be a match made in heaven. So, do you, like, I mean, you, you said Abdul, that this mod was not an angle you explored. Um, but I guess, I mean, like, you, you said that most of the, before we hit record, most of the things you've been working with Elixir have been live view. So what other kinds of like wisdom is there? Like where you said, okay, this, this was something I have tried out. This was like an interesting learning about like, for example, you using, building something with Phoenix live view, because I think most people, when they hear live view, they probably still think like a classic, I don't know, CRUD app, which creates some data, reads some data, updates some data, deletes some data, probably with some kind of persistence layer and then for example, subscriptions, uh, not subscriptions, bullshit like that, where you have live updates are only what to a certain degree useful. But I mean, like right here, seeing here, okay, I, I have an app which renders something and it's using like an external source or it's using like some kind of ephemeral storage. I feel there's a whole slew of potential there for maybe even using like a Phoenix app of life view as like a, some kind of glue, right? For, for something external. That, 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 I think that there's potential there to be made. So anything interesting you can, can share in terms of like your life view journey, let's say, let's call it that. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. So for uh, live view, the main reason I love uh, live view is about uh, the real time update. I'm very passionate about uh, creating real time application and how easy it is with uh, uh, a live view. So yeah, um, like uh, in my blogs, if you'll see one of the blog I wrote about uh, creating a note taking app, uh, what I created, it was uh, with using Gen server and um, um, and along with uh, Phoenix Live View. So that uh, blog that was something very great learning experience in knowing about uh, learning about Gen server and also I, I instead of using Using, like you said about uh, the persistent layer, I use Gen Server as a persistent layer in that case. So yeah, it was very cool learning experience in, in, in developing that. Along with, uh, I also added uh, real time update in that case. Like if you are creating, making any change uh, in the application, it how it, it's affecting the users, other users that are exploring the um, the app. So yeah, that was something very interesting I did. And recently, I kind of um, created, like while working on one of my application, um, I'm working right now. Um, uh, it's a project management application that I'm creating. In that, 
we are sharing the screen with the, the user in that case it, it is kind of what we can say it is a note sh like it's kind of a screen where we where you can write something and the other user who is connected with you on the application will see uh, what user is writing so it's kind of screen sharing uh, application that i have so recently i kind of shared a small tweet of that of that thing what i've been working on so yeah it was very cool how uh, is like the main point like i love about live view is that um, it's it's very easy to achieve such uh, real life real time things so yeah that's uh, what i've been working on and uh, like that the reason i can constantly like uh, keep on working on uh, live view and knowing things and whatever i learn i keep on sharing with uh, on my blog yeah yeah cool hi this is charles maxwood from top end devs and lately i've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. So uh, Adi Allen, any like wisdom stories you have to share here? Like where you maybe used life view for something, let's say more unorthodox than like the usual suspects? Yeah, I guess one of the things I can share is, uh, I think I have uh, mentioned that a few times on this podcast already. It's, I don't like to use Live View directly to the router. I don't like my route directly going to the Live View. It just, you just lose the control of the plug pipeline. I know there's like new Phoenix Live View updates that allow you to kind of store state from a con to socket. There are there's stuff like that built in, but if you do Live Redirect, stuff like that starts to break. And I always go like render a controller action and part of the page being a live view with live render, right? I, th I think that just still gives the overall shell the control of your authorization and everything, right, can still stay in the outer shell. And the thing that needs to be live can be, you know, yeah, scope to this, just that live render part of the page. That has worked really well for us. And we haven't changed that. We, I started that pattern in October and it, ha it has worked really well. Even today, like, like a couple of weeks ago, we basically built Calendly because <laughs> our scheduling was so complex. So we could not rely on that. And all of that is powered through LiveView. But if you change the calendar, different days, different times pop up, that's part of LiveView. But the page itself is a controller because the scope of the LiveView would be determined by what private values is assigned to the, co the connection, right? So again, that pattern has worked really well for us. But I would love to hear what Alan's been working with. Actually, one cool thing I did, and I did a video about this, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily unique, right? One of the issues with Live View is that you, if you lose connection, you'll lose access to that data that's not saved yet. So if you have a very long form, every time you enter in something, and if you get to the end, and then for some reason, I don't know, your cat knocks over your router, right? You you lose all that data, right? It's really painful. We never really talk about this in the community, which I think is kind of interesting, but there is times when you're in a really spotty connection and it's painful. Or for instance, like what I do right now or what I did before was that like I had like three or four or five, six pages of a form, right, that I had to break up and I had all in one live view and people would lose connection. Like maybe they did, you know, close their laptop lid and open it back up because it's just too long and it's gone, right? 
I did make a video about this, how I actually solved it, which is basically using something called ConCache, I think, the name of the library. But we just cache the data. And then, like, I think, like, every six hours, we all delete it, just in case you never come back. Or something weird like that. I can't remember exactly how we did it, but that was basically it. So, anyways, I did a video about it because I think it's very useful because, yeah, I mean, Wi-Fi at cafes is known to be crap, right? Especially hotels. Airports are probably the worst. I just experienced that one. That was horrible. For some reason, I don't know why airport in Japan is just like the worst, <laughs> which is surprising. But but in any case, right, like I think this is something that people need to think about is like if my user is entering data and they cannot finish it, how can I give them a good experience? Right. And implementing that definitely saved us a lot in the end. Because people just, I mean, when you have fill out, like, a, it's for weddings, right? You fill out your wedding stuff, especially if you're the guy, right? You got to go back and you got to ask your, your SO, hey, is this, you know, correct or not? Because I don't know what you what you like, right? So, sorry, I took a long story. But in any case, I think caching is super important uh, for long forms. That's such a good point. Yeah, I think that's just a case of, again, in my opinion, I think Alive is not a solution for that, right? That's like, a, maybe it's an overkill in such cases because you want to keep, you know, state between the actions. So, yeah, maybe it's on LiveView or, or maybe LiveView writes to like a database or a cache, like you mentioned. But uh, I would just, uh, the advantage of, I don't know what the advantage of using LiveView in a form like that would be. Well, speaking of overkill, right? Well, I mean, the cool thing is that as you're typing, like I have all this validation in the back end. So I want to kind of keep that. Plus, you know, SPAs are just not fun in terms of like debugging and everything else, right? Right, I'm dealing right. with that stuff right now. The other thing too, that I thought was really cool. So you're talking about unconventional use for that same project. Like that was when LiveView was still new like i was using old apis that they way changed since then what i thought was pretty cool was that like you know how you have a wedding you can put up your you know you can have like an invitation site or something like that well you can create your own invitation website and what was cool is as you're looking at the website if you decide to change the theme it would actually change the whole theme of the page like i thought that was pretty cool but everybody else thought it was not cool like they were like oh no no big deal i'm like what do you mean no big deal you use php all the time what do you mean this is awesome yeah, but you know, people don't really do that so much. I'm like, yeah, but I did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. You could still do it without LiveView and just Tailwind and Alpine, right? Or, or just Alpine with some other CSS. Yeah, I mean, you could. But I think this was, this was way before I ever heard about Tailwind. I don't know if Tailwind is gotcha. even around then. But mm. in any case, I mean, the point is this. It's, like, it is cooler than PHP, for sure. <laughs> yeah, like these guys, they never worked with WebSockets before. So they never thought that you could do this. And like, I thought it was cool. Like you're looking at the site and all of a sudden yeah. the, the thing changes, right? I thought that was really awesome. But people didn't, were not impressed. I'm still lost. So uh, Alan, you, you, you talked about uh, caching the form, long forms. So uh, like, did you use any specific caching mechanism or something? Or any specific library for catching? Well, now that you mentioned it, I guess it's going to be my pick for today is my, that sweet video. But yeah, I mean, I think I use ConCache is the name of the, the one. And you can configure like, you can configure the, excuse me, the cache key, which I think I use like the current user signed in ID, along with like some other kind of atom to make it unique in case we had multiple ones. And what else did I use? Yeah, and so once you saved it, then I would clear the cache for that one. Because obviously if you went back to the form, you want to redo something, you don't need to keep that around. Yeah, it should be ConCache. Yeah, it was a wrapper around it, so and it, it worked extremely well. Is that the best one? I don't know, but it worked out for me. I think it's called ConCache, right? I don't see it here now. Yeah, C-O-N-C-A-C-H-E. I found it, but I can put a link in the show notes. I mean, Etsy is perfect for this kind of stuff, so... Right. One more library that is very well known is CacheX for caching. So, like, in my case, like, I have used CacheX for saving my billings in my blogs, so whenever like I want 
I'll go on blocks page. It's going to make API request to fetch that data. So I have uh, deployed it on fly.io. So like to save my billings, <laughs> I just did uh, caching of uh, the all pages the user has visited. And also if particular any blog if user is opening, I'm, I have done caching of that as well. So yeah, but um, I have some, I face some challenge of the time interval. Like when I have to expire that thing, I had to uh, come up with uh, something that is that can give user latest blog as well as uh, like uh, it should not increase my bill so i went i decided to go with the expiration time of two hours so yeah caching can really um, be useful in that case yeah. isn't that this old joke there are only two hard problems in computer science at least once delivery <laughs> cache expiration and at least once delivery so yeah <laughs> <laughs> What's the thing? Uh, for for GraphQL though, I think there's usually there's a in memory cache that you have to also clear. I think I remember this like looking at some videos. I I never really used that, but I think you Adi, you know what I'm talking about. Like a lot of yeah, people have it. yeah, yeah. yeah. Ca- I mean, caching with GraphQL in general is a little tricky. It just needs a little extra thought. But but you're right. Like if you if you're using like a general HTTP cache and it doesn't your there's no timestamp or anything in the query, then of course uh, you have to like uh, uh, you know make sure more intentional about clearing it yeah that was one thing i think was tricky about graphql is that there was no really clear way that you could add like an e-tag or something like that you can that that was something that we ran into a lot i'm looking at cache x what is it it just looks like it's just an elixir elixir a gen server so it's yep uh, yep exactly exactly yeah that's the best part like it's very easy and intuitive yeah is it just a gen server or is it also like a little bit more magic under the hood like ets right because i mean i've built my fair bit of caching myself right and it tends like if you do this yourself it tends to boil down to you have a gen server yes but this one creates an ets table and then you enable concurrent reading on that ets table so other yep. gen servers can read from uh, other processes can read from that uh, ets table without having to go for all that message passing because otherwise you create this natural bottleneck in your system it doesn't look like it's using ets though i was just looking at the code at high level but it, it has a disk backup. Interesting. so yeah again i haven't looked at this again i'm like you sasha i always build my own cache uh, but Maybe I should try concache and cache. I mean, I, I have used, I forgot what the library name was, but I have used uh, like one ready-made cache solution because it was really about, okay, we need to fetch this API endpoint over there and we want to expire that cache in like two hours. Eh. <laughs> right? Like there's not much more thought which we had to went, go into that. And then in that right. case, using something ready-made where you at least verify that it's not creating a bottleneck. Yeah, why not? But if you want to anything more granular, and want to like maybe remove certain cache keys deliberately. I mean, we we also had like a that was like an interesting thing we 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 were building, just, but just because for shits and giggles, not really because it was reasonable. Uh, we had like a system which used Delta CCRDTs to like uh, synchronize data in like a cluster of Elixir application, and um, in there we actually then had like a one process which basically fetched the latest like the latest state of that on like a minute basis and then uh, like update an ETS table and like removed entries which were expired, uh, updated entries which were updated, so on and so forth. So yeah, and then like we all uh, the rest of the system actually read from the, the ETS, from table. ETS table and not from this CRDT gen server because that would have been like right. message passing it again, creating a national bottleneck, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Those are the kind of caching that I've mostly built. But I think the first one you mentioned, instead of even using a library, I would just use an agent at that point, right? Like I feel like it's as simple as an agent and it's so easy to create an edge backup, like literally five minutes of code, <laughs> then adding a dependency, a mixed dependency and like another black box rather for other developers to like not know how something works. 
Okay. So, um, I mean, now we covered GraphQL, we covered uh, live view and using it in like maybe less than <laughs> Adi, does a timeout see the gesture? I'm not sure why. No, it's actually, I was showing T, the T word. We can talk about testing, testing. if people are interested. Always doubt about testing. <laughs> I was thinking you need a timeout. Yeah. I was so confused. <laughs> uh, yeah, talking about testing, yeah, that's a uh, that's really interesting thing. Like when the, I was doing this fetching data from this um, external GraphQL, so one thing that I, I had in my mind that I'll show add some testing to do in this application and also i wanted to uh, learn how to do mocking external sources i wasn't uh, something this area was uh, something i wasn't ever about so i did some experiment and uh, i learned about mocks and yeah using mocks behavior i added uh, the testing thing later so yeah, I'll add a keynote of my repo, what I've worked on, there I have implemented this testing. It's It was really interesting that opened my eye about behavior because behavior is something I wasn't very much clear earlier, but while implementing this mocking, it really cleared my concepts about about mocks and all. Yeah, you guys have like experiences with, obviously you guys might have experiences with mocks as well, yeah? I mean, the first time I was invited here was literally to talk about mocks and testing. So, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> yeah, Sasha doesn't have much nah. experience. Just written a library nah. about mocks, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to say. But yeah, I think mocks is a great way to like kind of like test something like this, right? Like where your live view process is with this live view component and an API component mocking the API. So yeah, glad, glad you mentioned that, Abu. Now, get into the live view specifically. Like, what are your way? Because you mentioned you use live view a lot for side projects, and the answer could be as simple as you don't write tests for that, and that's totally acceptable. But like, how, what's your approach to like test your live view modules and also like server the rendered HTML that's part of the live view? Yeah, so that's a nice question. So regarding this, uh, like, what I cover mostly in live view testing is uh, mostly unit testing, like the API layer, what I design. I mostly test into testing of that and as well as the component testing, its behavior, how it is taking the input uh, and the the event testing, what I mostly do in the in the in the case of uh, in the case of component and mostly like what I do is uh, in case of what we what we can say like in case of UI, what I do it's uh, how data is rendered in this case, uh, like providing some kind of dummy data to the components or UI and how the application uh, the component and the UI is behaving. So that's the mostly testing what I have explored uh, till now regarding the testing. Yeah. So what would you say, Adi? Because I mean, I think you're, you're like the resident testing expert here, right? So if you had to, to test something like this, like what would you say like some best practices would be? Yeah, so first to give credit to Abul, like yes, the mocks just makes life so much easier for unit testing live view. Now, because our live views are live render, they're not directly mounted in the router that makes life easier for building it, but complicated for testing it, right? At that point, you not, not only have to test your live view in an isolated way, but also test it with how it works with individual places where we are live rendering live view, right? It's kind of like testing a live component. I think live isolated is first way that uh, we used to test it. Live isolated mounts the live view in an isolated fashion with a correct socket uh, parameters and the correct session. And just obviously like the regular events, calling the events from tests, making sure all the events are properly tested. 
I think the best way to test the rendered HTML, both in live view and non-live view way, is a browser test. And we use uh, Capybara for that, R- Ruby on Rails. How uh, I think I mentioned this in one of the episodes. I'm not sure, Alan, if you were there. But the solution we ended up using, because uh, I, th- I think there were a few, I forget the name, Wallaby was an Elixir browser testing one. It wasn't working on Linux properly, at least when we, t- we tried it. We've tried it a few times. And even on Mac, it was not deterministic. So we decided to, you know, we want to stick to Ruby and Capybara. How do we do that? Basically, in our Elixir EXS files, we want to use the factories, right? We don't want to have to replicate, recreate the environment in Rails and, you know, all that stuff. So in the EXS file, We'll create the things we want to create with factories, use a shell command to call the RSpec and pass the IDs and path as environment variable to that RSpec shell call, right? So you can even run it concurrently in that way because the environment variable is only isolated to that shell call, right? So you can write all of your HTML expectations, what happens when you click this button, where it gets redirected, all of that in RSpec Ruby, which is a lot more deterministic. Uh, Capybara in Ruby is a lot, uh, with is a lot more deterministic and still use your Elixir factories and not have to create like a seed environment just for browser testing, uh, which a lot of people do. So that's my approach for testing HTML button clicks and stuff. Instead of trying to like replicate JS hooks and stuff, and there's ways to do that. It just doesn't work because at the end of the day, they're user-facing and you should try to get to the bra- as close to browser test as possible to properly make it deterministic, right? Uh, I don't know what thing, you guys think about this. Uh, Adi, you said about uh, JS hooks. So one thing, like, um, click me, like, uh, I haven't got anything very good about uh, JS hooks since I use lots of JS hooks. So w- what is your way to test uh, JS hooks? <laughs> browser it's test. Alan's age-old question. <laughs> yep. Alan is asking that every time we have something about live view. <laughs> so uh, Abdul, you're in good co- Abu, sorry, Abu, you're in good company. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- there are ways to do it now in live view, right? You can invoke a JS hook and get the updated HTML, right? But it doesn't always work, uh, uh, especially if you're if using components or rendering live view inside a bigger HTML. It doesn't always work if you invoke JS hooks. That's why I resorted to browser test. Alan would love to know what your solution is because I know you've been asking this question <laughs> for a while. So about the hooks, right? Yeah, I try not to write hooks. That's my solution for now. <laughs> <laughs> guess guess that works. Yeah, I mean, so to be honest, like I, I just don't test everything, right? So some of the stuff like it, <laughs> it is these days. Yeah, that's the same answer I gave before, right? I just don't test everything. I think there's a section in in German's class about is that how you say his name, German, right? Because I know it's spelled German. That's I think it's Harman, right? Harman. Harman. Okay. Yeah. Well, I just say German because written is German, but okay, it makes sense because I think he's from another country. I like that. Yeah, but I I think he has a section about this and. He gave a couple different ways, but they basically lent back on what you were talking about, Adi, right? Where it's like you need to run some kind of big solution in order to really test it out. Or you you kind of try to isolate as least as you the least part of it uh, outside. So it's like it's right. like, you know, what do you call that? Almost like um extension cable, right? Okay, well if A works and C works and B exactly. is just the connection between the two, then you don't really need to test it. Just test integration. Yep. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we have tried so many ways of testing JS hooks. And even, I mean, something as simple as like even actions sometimes don't work properly based on what you do with the actions, how the live view gets updated. So that's why browser tests are really, I mean, if you're test- testing the components of HTML, right? Are they being rendered correctly? Is is that, I mean, live view with, if especially if you start using Alpine inside the live view, it gets really complicated, 
if you define your X data outside the live view and inside the live view, you update the data and outside the live view, you use that update to display or hide things. I mean, you need browser tests because it's you've introduced a JavaScript inside live view. Live view with WebSockets doesn't update and call JS events correctly at correct times, right? So yeah, there's no other way around browser tests or as in Alan's case, manual QA. <laughs> I mean, manual QA is a form of browser tests in of itself. It's it's just not right. very scalable. And you said about uh, Wallaby. Does it work with uh, Live View? If I'm not, they claim that it does. Uh, it just it was working on the a uh, Mac computer we had set up. It was not deterministic. It was like off. I would say like eighty percent of times was giving expected results, which I mean I would even take. But on Linux, it was just crashing. So and this was like in November and in March, we tried it twice and it didn't work. So I don't want to like, I mean, again, it's it's open source. People are working really hard on that, I'm sure. But it's right now, as of March, when we tested it, I don't think it's ready for, you know, like a scalable use, especially because of CI, most CIs are on Linux. And that just, if it doesn't work on Linux, then it doesn't work. Yep. Yeah, that's a great point. And yeah, thank you for mentioning about Wallaby. Uh, I think it's right time that I'll start considering it my for my application from start. I think obviously there will be some learning of using it in uh, live view. Hopefully you can fix it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. Okay, folks. So unless we have any new angles to explore here, I think we, we, we got it covered, right? I mean, without delving into topics we already covered before in the past. I think we did good sidestepping the, the, the all the things we already talked about GraphQL and life view wise. So hooray! <laughs> Abul, anything you would like us to to like to pitch right now before we slowly transition into picks? I think I'm fine. Uh, yeah, I think almost everything is covered. Nice. Yeah, one thing like uh, I wanted to highlight like. I'm open for Alexa opportunities. <laughs> so if there is, if anyone want to work with with me, then please let me know. Adi, Adi, I think that this is your cue. <laughs> yeah, Abul will connect outside of the podcast for sure. Sure, sure. sure. <laughs> okay, so Abul, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? So yeah, I'm on Twitter. Uh, so it's uh, my Twitter ID is Abul underscore Asar. Yeah, we'll include a link to it in the show notes, no worries. So Yeah. And on I'm on LinkedIn as well with the same name and same ID. So yeah, these only two platforms I'm uh, available. Yeah. Nice. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas twenty twenty without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production. And you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Okay, then, folks, then let us transition to picks. And for you, Abul, because I didn't mention it earlier. So at the end, we always pick one or multiple things we just want to promote. It doesn't have to be code related. It doesn't even have to be tech related. It can be anything. I recently have picked a whole bunch of video games. So you do you, right? Just so I'm going to come to you at the end of this. So you have a few moments to think about this. But Adi, why don't you kick off with your picks for this week? Oh, you look... <laughs> you look surprised. You're like, oh, wish. Yeah, I don't really have that many picks. I guess let's let's pick common GraphQL client, right? Like the, the GraphQL client that I was talking about. Even if it's say not maintained, as there are a couple of components of that that you know people who are into GraphQL clients can look at, especially the client side query validation. You know, it just significantly decreases the need for you to write integration tests between client and server. So you should definitely check that out, especially because I wrote that 
part of that client. Then it uh, must be perfect. Uh, yes, it's very, it's very closely perfect. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's not, but I'm sure you guys can make it better. I also have a, you know what? Let's do it. I have a very silly pick. I had like 15 minutes to spare this last weekend in the morning. That's generally more than I have. And I was like, what can I do with that? So I naturally went to domains.google.com, bought awesome domain name, donkeycr.app and built an app there where a donkey, you can feed a donkey a carrot, hay or something else. And the donkey will poop based on, <laughs> based on what you feed him. feed him. It's simple alpine tailwind, a very simple, not no elixir, no phoenix. So uh, go to donkeycr.app and play around with it. <laughs> it's just a simple app where a donkey takes a crap. <laughs> That's the weirdest thing I've seen in quite a while, my friend. <laughs> what the heck? I'm ever, I have it open right now. Yeah, it's exactly what Addy described. It's exactly that. Okay, Alan, what are your picks for this week? Uh, yeah, I just have one pick coupling to you. That's the video about how to cash in live view because you guys are curious. Obviously, choose whatever caching method you want. This worked for me, obviously, kind of battle tested. People are happy with it. If you guys have better ways to do it or other ways, I would love to hear it because I will be using more and more live view as time goes on and I want to get better at it. So, yeah, I think this is a good starting point for anybody new to live view. Nice, nice. As for picks for me, I sincerely have to pass this week. I, I don't have any. So. Maybe next time. Let's see. Yeah, I'm sorry, Adi. I'm sorry that I disappoint you. But there's nothing interesting to pick this week. Oh, wait. You want, want to go super nerdy? I can go super nerdy. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go super nerdy. Um, then I'm going to pick the Sprawl. The Sprawl is a cyberpunk-themed, powered-by-the-apocalypse role-playing game. And if you have no idea what all of that means... <laughs> Then role-playing games, you might know, like D&D, right? At least uh, Stranger Things popularized that, that, that those are role-playing games. Um, Powered by the Apocalypse uh, are role-playing games which are derived from the Apocalypse World, which is a role-playing game which kind of, not as the first, but the first which made it popular, is a narrative-first role-playing game. Narrative-first means that Compared to Dungeons and Dragons, where you really have rules to sort out like everything, the narrative first role playing games are always designed about okay, you trigger rules by doing things in the narration. So, for example, if you, I don't know, if you want to hit somebody very hard, then there might be a specific rule for doing that. But it only happens if you actually, in the narration, try to hit somebody very hard. So that kind of narrative first role playing game. And Cyberpunk, I mean, Cyberpunk, I don't think I need to explain. Um, so, yeah, the Sprawl is a Cyberpunk mission-based power by apocalypse role-playing game i'm currently prepared that's <laughs> i'm currently preparing and i have a limited edition here so yeah super nerdy like i said <laughs> that's too nerdy even for me man that's the nerd level is like it's over nine thousand, you know <laughs> oh, don't make yep. me blush daddy don't make me blush <laughs> So that's my pick for this week. If you're into role-playing games and you feel like like maybe you step out of sight of your usual D&D bubble, then PBTR games, Powered by the Apocalypse, and especially the Sprawl are worth a look. It's 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 cool, cool stuff. Okay, Abul, do you have any picks for us? I think uh, I have three picks for today. <laughs> okay, the one, uh, the first one is uh, that, like, I think I've said earlier today itself, like, uh, I'm working on a project management tool. It's kind of very much inspired by Jira, but uh, with different purpose. Uh, so it's in live view what uh, the best part about it. So, like, I've worked on quite a lot of stuff 
the best thing that I really liked about is uh, the Jira-like interface, like how you move tickets and uh, how it's real-time updating things. So all those things uh, are very cool. And it's combination with Alpine. All things have made uh, everything very beautiful. Like I'm very excited about it. And uh, the second pick is uh, a few weeks back, like I tweeted about... Uh, the canvas uh, real-time drawing uh, what I've done so I was kind of busy uh, in my other works so like many people uh, asked me to write share the code and uh, how I implemented that so I, I've been writing blog about it so it's almost done so possibly in one day or two I'll be publishing that blog as well and third is non-technical one <laughs> like uh, this week I didn't get a chance to watch Thor so possibly uh, this Friday I'll be uh, I'll going to watch uh, Thor, uh, Love and Thunder. So yeah, that's uh, my picks. Nice. Okay, folks, then thank you for listening to us and tune in next time when we have another episode of Elixir Mix. It was a pleasure having you, Abu. It was really nice talking to you guys. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.